Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over, the Barnes & Noble podcast. Your newest book, With Teeth, is out. And I have to ask you, where did that opening come from? Oh, that was the actual, uh, I can say with assurance, that was like the first thing I saw when I thought of Mm -hmm. this book. A lot of times, like when I'm writing something, especially something as big and fleshed out as a novel, like something bigger than the snow Mm -hmm. globe of short fiction, I have to start with some kind of initial image or thought or some kind of shape. Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing that came to me was I was like, okay, I really want to have this be this very manic, a moment that happens that feels so intense and so huge, but happens in like less than 10 minutes, attempted abduction, attempted, Mm -hmm. like, right. Like it doesn't occur, but something that really frames the rest of the narrative because of not necessarily how the fact of the abduction, but how Sammy feels her son reacts to it and how she takes that into herself and internalizes her idea of what his response is, where it's like, I saved you in these kind of circumstances. You'd be thinking like, oh, thank God, you know, like this was, this could have been horrible. Like something really bad could have happened. Thank God this was averted, like a crisis averted. And in her mind, she's like thinking so much to herself. Why did you want to go with him? Why did you want to leave me? What's wrong with me? that this happened, that you like, you felt like you had to get away. And I was like, this is a great way to like move into the context Mm -hmm. of this book because it's so much about like, I think so much about this book is like everybody in a household is an unreliable narrator. Like everybody shares stories in a family or in whatever your built household looks like. Mm -hmm. And the way that everybody tells them within that household is different. And I was like, this is Sammy's viewpoint, like close third all the way through the book. Mm -hmm. And you get her perspective on things and how she sees things is like maybe not necessarily all the time the way other people are perceiving what's going on. But like starting the book off in that very like tense, dramatic way. First of all, it was really fun to write because it's fun to write like in a very tense, dramatic scene where people are running or they're screaming or something happening. So it's just fun for me as a writer, but also just sets up like so much of the narrative of Sammy kind of moving along and being like viewing things in a way that's like maybe like we can see her as unreliable at times. Like maybe we can't always trust the things that she's telling us. I did feel that Sammy was unraveling Mm -hmm. and her responses to things were in some cases outsized. And in some cases, I actually would go back to to check my interpretation Uh because her response was so wild. The truth telling thing is, is really tricky for Sammy and her son, Samson. And even to a certain extent, her wife, Monica, who seems to be the most sort of do I dare say normal? Because Monica really <laughs> wants their family to be seen as normal. And I personally, as a human being, I'm like, well, what is normal? Normal exactly, is yeah. <laughs> normal, it's safe, it's overrated. Like, this is not 1950. I don't know what to do with the word normal. None of them shares a family truth. Mm-hmm. How do you have a family when you don't have a baseline of experience and of understanding of your little family? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a way too, in which um, it's a book that I wanted to feel a little bit claustrophobic, especially Mm -hmm. coming from Sammy's point of view, Mm -hmm. because she is the one who's like, she's taken on this role of like, I'm, I'm a stay at home mom. My life in the, in the context of being like a wife and mother exists in the point of, uh, sorry, my dog is snoring behind me. So if you hear that, Um, (laughs) it's uh, a way in which I was like, okay, like so much of mostly dead things feels outside, even when you're inside in that book, Mm -hmm. like so much of like the, the exterior creeping in. And this is a book that's still like central Florida, but like a very different perspective of central Florida. Like, what does it feel like when like so much of your experience with the outside world becomes like enclosed into a kind of like 
almost like a snow globe kind of situation where it's like, mm-hmm. here's what I'm presenting is this kind of beautiful thing. But in reality, it's all very trapped inside. And like, I spend my day, like I'm in the house doing stuff. I get in the car and transport my child from point A to point B. And like the most I see of outside is through the car window where I'm passing the places I used to go or any place where I had used to memory. But it's just like a kind of smear of scenery passing by as you're driving to the next location for your child, be that school or like first Samson, like swim practice or even like therapy or they're going to the grocery store and then it's like back in the car again and going back home and then the cycle begins anew mm-hmm. next day and then what would that feel like to have it be just slowly like settling itself down into this place that's would feel like smothering a little bit but it is like a way in which I was like okay and so much of the through line of this particular story was like I'm telling a story of like a queer family but I very much wanted it to be here's a perspective of a queer family in central Florida like how is this different than how a queer family would look in a different place and like you're right Florida's a red state conservative but we also like in central Florida have tons of queer people there's like a huge LGBTQ plus community in Orlando proper and so much of that is because of the theme parks Right. Like we have a ton of queer people coming to work at the theme parks, but there's not necessarily actual community spaces for any of those queer people. Right. Like we have two or three like bar slash nightclub things going on. And then that's pretty much it. Right. You have like pride and then you have like gay day at Disney. And that's kind of like what there is. There's not like designated spaces. There's spaces that have become like queer identified spaces just through like people going to them and through use. We have this uh, place that everybody calls gay IHOP in Orlando. And it's it's wonderful. There were queer people that got hired there. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, like then the staff all became people who were queer getting hired there. And then it became to feel like this is like a known kind of safe spot for queer people because it's so many queer people working there. So then a bunch of queer people like go to that IHOP. So then it became known as gay IHOP. But in reality, that space is not an ordained like queer space or quote Mm -hmm. unquote, and it can be like taken away at any time, right? Like or changed. And so there's this kind of flux of like what queer community looks like. And like, as a queer person thinking so much about like what family and community looks like and how significant it is, especially like building that up because many of us, not everybody, but many of us like don't have, maybe don't have contact or don't have that relationship with like our biological families in that kind of way. And building queer community is like essential for our like mental health and livelihood and just well, overall well-being. Um, and so t- for Sammy to feel like moving through this, right, there's like queer spaces that are like for young, like single, like child-free kind of lifestyles. And then, you know, moving into a different space of life where maybe you decide to like marry a partner or like, you know, like form a family and what whatever that mm-hmm. looks like and have a child is like a situation in which maybe that would alienate you from like the queer community that you have. And it would be so lonely and feel so stressful on the other side too of it just like not having any frame of reference to look at like so much of like parenting or like being alive in the world is like modeling behavior after what you see around you and to like not have any kind of frame of reference for it would be like I don't know what I'm doing I have like no community here I feel really really alone and I'm struggling and I kind of feel like I'm bad at this and maybe it's not what I want and I have nobody to talk to about it because I have like no frame of reference for this experience I was like talking to like an editor friend and they were like Mm -hmm. well why wouldn't you just have Sammy like join like gay moms group. And I was like, there's no gay mommy group in like Orlando. That's like not a thing. Sammy doesn't have anyone to model good behavior on, but her mother was a reserved parent and not 
particularly what we would think of as a mom, her behavior was not mom-like, whatever that sort of means, but she wasn't openly nurturing. She wasn't openly concerned with Sammy, except in the, in the role that Sammy played in their family. And that was the thing that she was most concerned about. So how in the world is Sammy supposed to learn? And, and even she has a moment later in the book where she goes to a lesbian bar, her marriage is imploding. She's figuring out what's next. And she crosses a line with someone who says, you know, get away from me. This is not okay. And Sammy doesn't get it. I mean, she really like, there's so many fronts that she doesn't get it. And, and there are moments in the book where she does things that are very funny. And, and cause you write really great. <laughs> As other people, I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to mention that you write great comic set pieces, but at the same time, there were moments where my heart was breaking for her because wow, she has nothing to fall back. And, and her wife was raised a different way. And there's that complication as well. Mm-hmm. The complication of class. Sammy's a little adrift and I did actually feel quite bad for her in points. Um, yeah. Does Sammy find her way? Do we think Sammy's going to find her way in the end? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't. I I think it would be like nice if we could have like this like hopeful note of like you no know, like yeah maybe she's like really learned something from this. What was important for me to write is like about like queer people who fuck up and yeah. I'm like how oh, that's like a completely normal thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a completely human thing to do. It's like there's plenty of times where it's people get into like a cycle of behavior and that's just the cycle of behavior in their life. You know, like that's just not ex- that's not exclusive to heterosexual people. <laughs> like that's definitely for everyone involved. I. I wanted her to be in this kind of space too, where it's like, what does she have to look at for modeling? Like what her family mm-hmm. look like, you know? So for so much of like what, like how her child moves through the world and how she's expected to like support him and like try and raise him the best way she can is to like put him in these situations where she's like a queer person who is an outlier in mm-hmm. all these situations, right? Like yeah. if she's doing PTA, like she's probably the, like, the gay mom there. Or like if he's doing stuff and then like there's, there's things going on, that's like, she has to like handle that and would have to, it would end up like even maybe at some levels, like subconsciously being modeled off of like patriarchal, like heter- mm-hmm. like heterosexual like relationships, because that's what, that's the model that's there. Right. To, like look at. And I think think like looking at like if we look at like queerness and how it's supposed to work and had not sit inside of binaries and like encompass so much more like a, a broader idea of how LGBTQ plus people live like what does that look like mm-hmm. and then be like okay like now you are going to like have to shove it into a model where one of you is like right like this the cliche question that like queer couples get asked like 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 lesbians get asked like which one of you is like the guy and who's like right. the lady the idea of like essentializing the kind of idea of mm-hmm. gender who's doing stuff and in reality quite often that stuff ends up like happening and getting internalized in a household right like in the case of like Sammy and Monica like Monica's like well I work full time and you know maybe I'll take the garbage out but you're here and you're raising the child so it's like it's just naturally falls into these lines where you're picking up after him and you're you know you're cooking meals and stuff even if that's not something you want to do like it, like it falls into these like gendered like roles that like happen inside of this relationship where if they were thinking about queerness in these like ways or like obviously this isn't what we had wanted or envisioned for ourselves in terms of like what this mm-hmm. relationship would look like but then add like a child in and also like here's where we are in a relationship and like we don't really know what we're doing and like it would like make a relationship implode in these kind yeah. of ways maybe not as dramatically as what happens all the time. not all the time as dramatically as what's happening and with teeth and that scene that happens like at the gay bar felt mm-hmm. like very important to me to write because I do think there's this way in which like Sammy but I think many queer people kind of like or just people in general we all have like this like propensity towards like fantasizing about nostalgia and like how things were like remember when 
when I was young and things were this way and like, it was better that way. Like I was like, I was better. My life was more interesting. And it's like this kind of like rosy glow that we put over like what the things in the past were like. And, you know, maybe some parts of like Sammy being like a young queer person at the beginning of like the first blush of her marriage or like a relationship with her Mm -hmm. wife, like was like, maybe like she maybe she had a better understanding of it, but like, it's quite possible that like, no, that's not what it was like. And nostalgia is like very, like, I think people like don't think about it it's dangerous and also can be used as like a kind of weapon because it wipes out like and when we don't remember how things actually were like we honestly end up repeating them a lot of the time so having her like show up at this gay bar all she sees are like the young people there she's Mm -hmm. like hyper focused on everybody young she's gone dressed up in ways that she would have dressed like when she was like first coming out and like is navigating that space as though she's like a baby dyke you know like Mm -hmm. I'm navigating this space in a way because it's like I this is this is the only way I know how to like interact with queerness as a as is as a young single queer it's like only way I know how to engage with this part of my life now and how she like goes through that like really is like I felt like deeply it felt deeply familiar to me because I think that there's these ways in which like we think because it's a queer space it's a safe space and that is not always the case because it's like there's this idea of like boundary crossing that happens constantly and so it felt really important to me to work this in here because it's like, you know, like Sammy's like trying, but also Sammy isn't trying well. And she also doesn't respect people's boundaries a lot of the time. How do you respect someone's boundaries if you don't have any yourself? Like you don't even know what that is and yeah. you don't think, or you don't think it's real. Yeah. But yeah, Sammy really wrestles. She's grieving. She doesn't, intimacy is a thing that she doesn't actually understand what real intimacy is. It's like she's grieving a fantasy life. hmm and really is making things so much harder for herself. And she doesn't, it's, it's just, she can't process the world outside of her own terms. She's not even connecting with her own kid. And it's very clear that they have a lot of similarities. Yeah. I think it's funny too, because she's like a person who the flaws that she finds so aggravating about him, like how he's, oh, he's such a picky eater. Like mm-hmm. she's a picky eater. Like, oh, he like just has such a hard time making friends. Like she has a really hard time making friends. Like yep. the stuff that she like puts on him a lot of the time is quite like similar to the stuff that like the, the struggles that she has with herself as a person, which I don't know. I, I was very interested in writing like the relationship between the two of them because mm-hmm. it was like a fascinating way to look at who she is as a person through the ways in which she decides to inter- decides to, I think is like an important word. Like, mm-hmm. right. Like she chooses the ways in which she interacts with her child because he is a child and she's yeah. choosing how she's interacting with him. I had a moment when um, he becomes quite a successful competitive swimmer at a mm-hmm. young age and she couldn't connect with his victories. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a really fundamental thing. You go to your kid's swim meet, you want to see your kid do well. And if your kid doesn't, your kid doesn't. I mean, that's, right. that's yeah. losing a meet is just part of it. The whole experience of doing sports. But at the same time, I'm like, lady, you're missing the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> I really kind of wanted to tap her on the shoulder and be like, excuse me, what's happening here? Yeah. And it's far enough along in the book where I know, you know, I, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's she is. But you had said, and this was in another interview, you have this great line um, where you were telling yourself, make the present as interesting as the past, because sometimes the present feels less significant because we're in it. Yes. And this is what you were telling yourself as you were writing mostly dead things. And and when you set yourself up to write with teeth and you wrote it relatively quick, right? You wrote it in a couple of years? I wrote it very quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it happened between, actually the draft of it was between 
September of 2019 and February 1st of 2020. That's what that draft, like I did it like in quick, quick, quick chunks. I wrote it very, very, very quickly. And it was like a, it was like a, where mostly dead things like was, I had that zigzag happening. I mean, I wrote it like, as I wrote it, I wrote it just like through, I didn't stop or like move things around, but like it, I took my time a little bit more with it. Mm-hmm. Um, with teeth felt like, an, like there was like an urgency for me. I felt like in writing it because Sammy is like, was very unpredictable to me and also like anxiety producing and very frustrating as a person. But I wanted to, I wanted to sit with her. So I did like long drags of time where I'd sit down and write for hours during the day. So I do like 2000, 3000, 4000 words and like in a sitting, just sitting down because I wanted to get the whole scene, that whole bar scene that's there. I wrote that in a day. Like I was like, okay, this is like happening in real time. I want to like, I want to feel like I'm moving through the space with her. So when stuff was happening, I felt like compelled to stay there. So the, the, the writing process, like the draft of this, like happened mm-hmm. very, very fast. Did you start with Sammy's present or did you start with her past? I started actually, I ended up like writing about like 40,000 words of with teeth and then chucked it, which I had not ever done before. Cause I, I was writing, I started writing it as a book of like, Sammy is like a grown adult woman. Mm-hmm. Her adult son, Samson has some thing that happened in his life and he has to come back home and live with her. And okay. I was writing it as a book of this relationship where they have to learn to like navigate each other with the stuff that has happened in their past and like what the future looks like for them. So it started off as that. And as I was writing it, I felt myself pulled page after page into like relaying their history with each other mm-hmm. and I found myself taking myself out of the scene in the present over and over and over again until I got to the point where I was like I'm starting this book in the wrong place mm-hmm. I'm like starting this book in the wrong place because it needs to be like this needs to be happening like in the moment with these things that are happening with them. And so I scrapped all of that and I started with that scene. I was like, okay, I like, I, I just put it away and I was like, maybe this isn't a book that's going to happen. And then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, I was doing something. I think I was at the reference desk or something at work mm-hmm. and like, like at the library. And I like all of a sudden had this like moment, like I saw that the image of this child abduction thing that happened. And I was like, oh my God. And so then like ran and like just sat down and like, bleh, like word vomited it out. And then, then it became its, its thing. And I wrote it as is like, I wrote it like here, here we are. Here's this like space where like Samson's like in the fourth grade. Okay. Now we're bumping and we're going to be like, here's Samson as a teenager. And now here's the end. And like, it just like happened like holistically in that kind of seasonal way that they're like constructed in the book. And it, it happened so quickly. It felt like a blur. I feel like I felt like how like Sammy's like feeling a lot of times, like, when did this just happen? Like, how had my life gone by this quickly? I was like, buddy, I don't know. I'm like right there with you. It was like a big blur. I was like, this is like, really, it felt like so much. And I like, it was as frustrating as she was, it was compelling to sit and like write through the things mm-hmm. happening in her life because I, I felt like deeply felt them. I was like, I, I, even like when you're doing things that are like, it's unclear why you're doing it. I still kind of understand why you're doing it because it's like, she's like in such a place that continues to evolve into like loneliness and depression. And I think doesn't realize that that's what those things are Mm -hmm. that she like works like a lot of things that could like unwittingly like sabotage her whole life. And in that way, like maybe like force her to start over or force something to happen. Like when she has that like interaction with the mom at the, at the swim meets too, she knows like she knows on like better than a subconscious level, like why am I choosing to do this? But I I made this decision a long time ago and I'm I'm moving in this direction anyway. And I think sometimes it's like when we don't, when we lack the courage to handle things head on, we like possibly do things that like could just like destroy 
the thing so it can be rebuilt because we don't have the capacity to do it ourselves. Sammy was the first character who revealed herself to you, right? When you yes. when you were right. So you sort of knew there was this voice and that she was troubled and that she was unraveling in a way. Did you know where her relationship was going with her son? I mean, he just seems like an average troubled kid to me, but mm-hmm. I did see a review where someone was like, well, he's on the spectrum. And I was like, yeah. I wanted it to be very much about like, there's not anything wrong with Samson. There's like something wrong with Sammy. Okay. Because I had a moment when I saw that, I was like, I'm sorry, did we read the same book? Because I just think he's a teenager. Yeah. But I I mean, again, it's like, right. Like after I put a book out and and put my work into the world, like anybody gets to like take that work and like kind of imagine it and see it however they see it. So that wasn't, that was not the way that I envisioned that because so much of what I see is there's not anything wrong with Samson. And we get to see that a lot of the way through the book, through those interstitials, like things that are peppered in, like quite often those are seeing Samson in a way that Sammy doesn't, right? Like ways in which it's like, Samson's helpful. Samson does this. Samson's so kind. Like Samson is always there. He's like doing things. The ways in which like Sammy is just herself unable to have that relationship with him is quite often how these like possible, sometimes even strangers or like people who are like, like therapists are involved in his life, see him as like, he's not the issue. But I really wanted it to be this way in which it's like moving through the work, like she is like unraveling in this kind of way, but has like no kind of recourse for how she's going to fix that or maybe even in any kind of desire to fix it. I'm just maybe just let it happen in this kind of way or possibly like hope it's going to fix itself, which is also another way I think that people can kind of like be, you know, if they're in like dysfunctional situations, Mm -hmm. which I mean, another part of it too, is like, I really like writing about queer everyday experiences, right? Mm -hmm. I'm less, way less interested in these kind of like what quote unquote, like pivotal moments of queerness, like coming out stories or like some kind of like, I don't even want to write about like her estrangement from her parents. Like that's in there because I think it informs who she is. I was like, but we don't need to see that like in scene. I'm like, not as interested in that. I'm more interested in how like a queer person like just moves through the world in like a daily kind of thing. Like, right. Like here's what it's like for me making dinner and like I'll burn the dinner or something. And oh yeah, I'm gay. Like, oh, here's me like parenting this child. And there's a day in which he like won't do his homework and we kind of get in a fight about it. But then, you know, like we'll watch TV together and it, it seemed like, okay, but you know, and also I'm gay. I want it to be like that kind of thing. And so in writing this book, I was like, this family is dysfunctional. And I wanted it to be like how these little everyday occurrences can kind of build up, right? When stuff happens that's not addressed or stuff happens that like we deal with in ways that we shouldn't, that it be, it builds like a kind of callous over itself. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, it becomes like a norm. Like it's like, oh, well, we've done this so many times that we've built up a kind of callous to it. And now when we get to the point where it's like deep dysfunction and some really bad things are happening, we have no tools for dealing with it because we've allowed these kind of things to happen. And how that's informed by queerness is like, what's the most interesting to me, but not like these like big, like, because I think queerness is bigger than that. It's like the whole lived experience versus these like moments in time. When you say how the small daily moments are informed by queerness, what exactly do you mean? I think a lot about like, right, like, okay, so if we're talking about like this idea of like gender roles in a household Mm -hmm. of like two queer women, right? So the idea that like Sammy is thinking to herself, like, okay, well, I have to make the dinner. I really don't want to make the dinner. I don't like this. But it's like, she's not thinking to herself, like, I have to do this because we've made a decision that like, I'm the mom and she's the dad. It's just a moment in time as she's moving through her day that she's like, well, it's expected of me to do this. And so I have to do it. I don't really like it. And she doesn't have any kind of introspection to think Mm -hmm. about it. It's just what's happening in her household. 
happen in her life. And we know her queerness is informing that, right? Like, it's like, okay, like she's like, there. it's two women who are in a household that both like identify as lesbian as like cis lesbians who like, in theory, should be able to have like a conversation about like, we're two women, we're not like performing these like gender roles of like father and mother, we need to be able to have a conversation about like what this looks like. But that doesn't happen there. It's just kind of, oh, she like thinks about the fact that like when Monica comes home a lot of the time, she sees Samson and then plays around with him and gets him all riled up. And then like, Sammy has to put him to bed and he doesn't want to go to sleep. And like, Monica doesn't have to deal with it. But it's so it's like the queerness is informing what's happening, but also like how it's butting up against like, right, like these kind of like heterosexual sexual like roles inside of a household so that's like that's very interesting to me which is like why like I kind of have called writing about like the lesbian domestic is kind of like how I'm thinking about it and it's something that like continues to fascinate me and I guess I'll stop writing about when I when I'm like get bored with it but it hasn't happened yet so (laughs) Monica is very quick to sort of dismiss Sammy's experience. She's very quick to dismiss Sammy's concern. She's very, she's very dismissive in general. And, and yet Sammy doesn't see that she's in her nostalgia for whatever they had at the beginning that she actually doesn't see that her wife is really not the person for her. Yeah. I think it's like a thing too, where it's like, I think she doesn't understand like the ways in which like Sammy sabotages like things in her life mm-hmm. and like things happening in their household is like, I think it's also coming, it's coming from the other member of that household. Yeah. Like the, the question I have gotten asked the least is anything about Monica. People don't ask me anything about her. And I was like, this is a person who's also contributing a lot of the same kind of like stuff, right? When we decide we're not going to talk about anything like or everything's fine or I need you to like get your shit together because we need to like be able to present is like a deep deeply problematic kind of thing and to like be in a relationship where you're not like mutually trying to meet each other like right like compromise but like also like seeing each other's needs or like seeing where there's a lack and being like how can I help with this Mm -hmm. it's like it's not just Sammy doing that stuff it's obviously Monica too which is why in writing this I didn't feel the need to give perspective from like third person close like mm-hmm. how I did Sammy I didn't feel the need to give that to Samson or to Monica some of that is that I think like regardless it's like what I'm thinking about like each of the three of them is going to tell it in their own way and not any one of those ways is correct because I think if we're talking about like household narrative there's not a correct there narrative there's like mm-hmm. here's how I saw it because I was part of it mm-hmm. um So, and then also like, I was like, okay, if I'm giving like Monica this much time, it's just her, it's her telling it in a way that's like, I I think we can see it just as well from what Sammy doesn't see or like how Sammy doesn't process those things happening. Like how they decide to, which is a very queer thing, how even when they're like, I guess spoiler, but like how when they like are decide they're going to separate, decide to continue living in that house together, mm-hmm. which is the thing that happens quite often in queer relationships. Yeah. It blows my mind. My first thing is like, no, I'm bye. I like, I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Like I, the whole living together after you've broken, I just, I don't know what to do with that. But it's like one of those things where it's like, right, there's these like lesbian tropes that happen where it's like, right, where it's like, oh, every lesbian watches the L word. Oh, every lesbian like Mm U-Hauls. Oh, every lesbian has some like joke about like the turkey baster and like how you're gonna have a kid and like, you know, these different things that kind of like filter in and they're like, it's like, haha, it's like a lesbian stereotype. But then they get internalized in these kind of ways where those things like begin to happen. Like there's a reason why the U-Haul joke continues to happen. And it's because like it's internalized in the lesbian community 
community and like people meet somebody and then they immediately decide like after two dates they're gonna they're gonna move in together or like oh like uh have you like like a lesbian's first date is actually like three days long it's just like this idea that like these it's it's a joke but it's like so deeply internalized and so that's one of those things where it's like I know plenty of people who have been in these like queer relationships that just keep living together after they're separated trying to be like friends immediately or like there's intimacy there and then or like you know like oh we're gonna live in the same place and we're both gonna be dating and that won't be weird like what is that like and then I don't know throw a child into the mix of that and I think it's just a shit show but it's like a thing that happens like it's a thing that happens in queer community which is like kind of moving towards like queerness in this way where it's like well we're different because we like we have like long-lasting relationships right like there's just like right like uh I my ex-girlfriend is your new girlfriend and your ex-girlfriend is like my new girlfriend and like also like my my ex's ex like officiated our wedding or something you know like where it's like very oh but it's like open because it's queer but also it like facilitates like a lot of boundary crossing and a lot of like weird shit like if you're not like handling it or like processing it appropriately can turn into like just like very quickly turn into dysfunction so like writing them into the household together when they're not together and both like openly dating other people I was like well this is just like very queer and but in a way that like is not great (laughs) and both of them both sammy and monica really do care what other people think and in fact put other people outside of the household people outside of the household yeah put their opinions first i mean there's this emphasis on respectability politics for both of them and it's like you were saying like they're queer why not invent a new way of looking at the world and yet they're both products of their environment yeah Part of that is Central Florida. Part of that is them. Part of them is where you need this story to go in a way, right? (laughs) I mean, it is like one of those things where it's like, I mean, deciding to model queerness in like certain ways would be like extremely difficult in Central Mm -hmm. Florida. And like, if we're looking at it from like Monica's perspective, like the idea of like her being like an attorney at like a law, a respected law office in Central Florida, there's like not room for those kinds of like, things like that right it's already like one thing to be like okay I I have this like situation in order for to be respected or to like maintain my job I mean I can speak for myself as a person who's lived in like central Florida my whole life like there's like plenty of jobs that I worked at even like at libraries where I I was not out like I was like maybe people knew that stuff about me but I was like there was no way I could like be like presenting queerness in this kind of way in whichever way I liked and like Mm -hmm. expect to maintain like not only a job but also like relationships with my coworkers. So it's like, it's like very difficult. So there's this idea that's like, we are queer and like there's space for us, but it's like, is it, it also needs to look this kind of way. And if you do it wrong, like maybe you're fucking it up for everybody else. Like, right. Like Mm -hmm. if they, if they like don't do well with this, then it's just another example of like how they have to be model lesbians. And if they do it right, then it's like a, an instance in which they're failing, not only like themselves, but like their, the entire community. That's a lot of pressure. Like it's a lot of pressure to be like, well, we failed like right we didn't do this and now it's like going to be a thing where it's like the next couple of lesbians that come along and try and have a kid in this community they're going to be like look what happened to these other dykes right and that's a huge part of sammy's sammy's loneliness and her isolation and her alienation in a lot of ways too is as she even comes out and says it it's like they were abandoned by some friends when they decided to have a child yeah and then they have a boy child on top of it and then people were judgy about that and then yeah. and then everything sort of started to change for her and she didn't know where to go and part of that is central florida yeah but for you 
I have to ask separate from the book. You're still in central Florida. You stayed. Yes. I mean, I'm in Miami right now, but like, okay. I, I, I think I'm going to be like, I've lived like for 40 years, I lived in like central mm-hmm. Florida. Like it's like home to me. It mm-hmm. is one of those spaces too, where it's like, I know that it is, there are ways in which it's like so frustrating and really stifling, but there are other ways too, in which it's like, it feels like deeply important to me to like be a person that stays and does the work. So it's like, I, I am like an out queer person and I am like doing things and I'm like writing the books I want to write. And like, so when Mostly Dead Things came out and it was like, there was like success behind it. It was like, never once had like the, like the, I mean, not the Orlando Weekly, but like the major newspaper, like in Orlando had like never once done any kind of thing about me or any kind of thing like that. And then after the book got on the list, like got on the New York Times bestseller list, like then it was like, oh, now it's like, now you're like, like an acceptable queer for us to like have a conversation and like have a conversation about. And I was like, but that's significant in that it's like when one person kind of like gets a foot in the door, you, you want to hold it open Absolutely. so that there can be like more movement of more people coming in and different types of things. Cause these books I'm writing are about like queerness, but they're from like, right. Like my like white cis like lesbian queer experience, which is not, well, you know, this like, like the human experience is so broad, like mm-hmm. queerness is so much bigger than that. And like, just cause I don't want to tell a coming out story. It's like, maybe I'm tired of seeing like, you know, like a white cis coming out story, but like coming out stories that are like dif- from different kinds of people, like those are important and different and haven't been represented and we haven't seen them. So it fe- has felt very important to me. Also, it feels like my vote matters. Like my vote matters in Florida and I, I take that very seriously. It's been such a great thing to see, especially within the past, I don't know, even decade, like maybe decade of like people like who are queer, or like hadn't come out or anything yet, wanted to leave. Like right there, like graduate from high school and they're like, oh, thank God, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to go someplace like that's like more liberal and like I'm going to be accepted. There's going to be an arts community there for me already. But like within the past 10 years or so, people have been choosing to stay because they want to build like, like a broader sense of community and like queer, but also like arts and like also just like more interested in like social justice and like how things like are there. And so it's felt like very important to me to be part of it and stay there. And it's been like, like honestly a sincere joy to see how I felt like it's flourished and like moved in a, in a direction where people like are staying and really care. It's a lot of like very cool young people. (laughs) That's literally what I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like the next generation needs to see this. They need to see that you don't have to pick up stakes completely. Mm-hmm. and walk away from everything. Now, that's not to say that you can't. Yeah. <laughs> what is the what is the queer canon look like now? It's like really expanding into what it could yeah. be. Because I know that for like a long time, like right, the queer stories that we had were like all very white and mm-hmm. and traditionally like very like like cis male kind of centric mm-hmm. kind of queer stories. Absolutely. And then you know it's it's I feel like it's broadened even within the past like five years. There's been so many things, even like like talking about Florida, like uh, mm-hmm. Tikira Madden's memoir came out which is like about like growing up as like a biracial and queer in South Florida. Shakira Diaz's memoir came out and that's about like being queer. That book is amazing. Ordinary girl. Yeah, I love it. Shakira is so talented. But there's like just so many different kinds of queerness. Like Mm -hmm. there's books that even came out like this year, like Detransition Baby that came out. um, Tori Peters' book Mm -hmm. is like right? Like that's like an examination of what a family can look like, right? Like what are the different kinds of queerness and how these kinds of things sit together? And it just makes room for like more and more and more and more. Brian Washington's work, um, Memorial was a novel that came out like 2020. I'm obsessed with that book. Love that book so much. I, I had a chat with him a while ago and I just said- Isn't he terrific? I love him. Amazing. 
But also, I have a Japanese mama. And I was like, dude, how did you do that? (laughs) He's like, I don't know, like the people that he writes feel like so voicey and so real. Um, and he writes about place in a way that like I am obsessed with. Like how he how he writes about Houston is just mm-hmm. like incredible. Mm-hmm. Brandon Taylor's work, yeah. he, like so many great queer like works that are like so expansive. His collection is coming out the 22nd, and every story in there is a banger. Like they're just good and so queer and so different. And how he like interprets like queerness like in his fiction is different than like how like everybody else does. And it's just, I think it's I think it's bonkers good. Alex Chi, everything Alex Chi writes is like tremendous. Edinburgh is one of my favorite books of all time. I recommend it. Anytime I have to recommend a queer book on a list, I'm like, oh, Edinburgh. It's so good. But yeah, there's just like, I feel like it's leaps and bounds. Like there's so many things. There's a ton of queer poetry. Tommy Pico is so talented and like such a, writes like such great, like poppy queer poetry. And now he's like writing television. I was just like, it's so cool. Like everybody's doing like so many cool, like queer ass, talented, amazing things. But it is like, I, I mean, I get excited. I just think it's terrific. I think it's wonderful. I, I think every year there's like more and more and more, and it's also wildly different and it's just wonderful. It's really exciting to see too what's happening in the YA space, especially as a bookseller, because knowing that your reach, I mean, that's one of the reasons I do what I do is for people to connect. Yeah. With Leah Johnson, Leah Johnson. Right, right? Yeah. There's so much great work out there. Yeah. But let's go back to you early on um, before you were a librarian and before you were a novelist. What are the books that were sort of part of your personal canon? Yeah. I mean, so much about who I am as like a reader is because like when I was very young, my my parents are very strict with me. They're uh, very conservative, like strict evangelical, like Baptist, Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't allowed to read whatever I wanted to. And like the stuff that they got for me was like all like from like the Baptist bookstore. So it's like very like, it was like, okay, this has like been curated. And so there's just like, there's, I was like, here's what I can read. So I became like very stealthy and like, cause I was desperate. Like I really, all I wanted to do was read. And so I spent like a ton of time trying to secret away books so that I could like read them. And like, I owe so much to like teachers, like English teachers once I got to like middle school, but even just like in elementary school, just like so many of my like elementary school teachers would see like when we'd read books or things like that, they'd have them. And then when we'd be done with them, they would say, they would say I could take them. Like they'd be like, you could have this. And I'd be like, freaking out um because I would be like oh my god I want to read this so badly so there's like a bunch of books that I read like some books like my parents would like I they let me read like all the little house books and I was obsessed with those just because it was also like so many stories and I was just like thrilled to death of like a, a girl like just doing a bunch of shit like I was like look she's like also it's like messy and very bodied like right where they cut open a pig and like they have to like harvest its head for head cheese and they like to play with the pig's bladder and they're like bouncing it around like it's a little balloon. I'm like, this is awesome. There were other books too where I was like, I am like a huge Stephen King fan and like, I really wanted to read horror. And so they had these books like at, like at my middle school and like, I would just like sneak them into the house and I have to hide them like underneath my dresser. And so like, I would sit on the floor and like read them like really sneakily. And then like, if my parents, I hear them coming down the hallway, just kind of slam it shut and like throw it down underneath the dresser. And so like, so much of like how I think about my like love affair with like reading is like, cause it was like so forbidden like you can't do it and then I'd be like I'm doing it I'm reading and so it just became this like thing there's so many books that like I was like not only like opened my eyes to all different kinds of things but just like made me like feel stuff that I hadn't felt or like didn't know how to express Mm -hmm. like Dorothy Allison's Bastard Out of Carolina I read that book in 
God, I think it was seventh grade. I read that book and that was the book that made me want to be a writer. I read that book and I was like, this is it. This is like, I felt really, the first time it felt like really seen because that's a book that's like so queer, even though it's not explicitly queer, there's like queerness in it. I saw it. It's like such a book about place, which is how I feel about Florida, that it felt like, I felt like it was like somebody had written something just for me and handed it to me. I'm like, here you go. Um, And it like that, I read that and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is, this is how strongly I feel about this book is like, I want to do something like this. I want to like write like messy, tender, vulnerable, angry people who are like so informed by the places they live and the families and communities around them. And that is like, I'm obsessed with Dorothy. I think she's, she's so talented. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but the way you touched on anger there too, just reminded me of something from With Teeth. You write about rage in a way that very few people can. And Sammy, wow, she and Samson have some seriously untapped rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's still really not okay for women to get angry, even in fiction. People mm-hmm. still have a really hard time. Yeah. It's feel, it feels important to me too, to write about like the, the really ugly parts of people. So like quite, quite often. And what, cause I also think too, like what is ugly? Like, yeah, right. you know, it's like human beings are like this like mix of emotions. And yeah, sometimes we get really fucking mad. Like there's times in which, especially when we feel like we have no control. <laughs> We have no control over our like um, situations or what's happening or like, and like that kind of frustration like builds and builds, especially if we're told like not to be angry or like that we, or we feel like we can't, it like kind of just kind of contains itself and until it's like this bubbling, boiling, like overflowing thing that can quite often, I think like result in us like just spewing the, the anger and like rage out of us. And so like writing that in there for her, because she feels like consistently so unheard, even though at the same time, she's quite often and not listening to people. It felt like important because I also felt like you can see those similarities between herself and with mm-hmm. Sam's, like the times where they both like feel unheard and like have these kind of ways in which you're not listening to me, you're not listening to me. Like they both are like experiencing so much of the same emotions, but then like, at least from Sammy's perspective, she feels like no one can see her. Like, I think quite often Samson does see her, but she doesn't, she doesn't want to recognize that that's how she, that's how maybe how she is. But I, I, I really like when I write, I like writing people in like the, the extreme throes of like human feeling. So like, I want to write people like feeling like a lot of like vulnerability or like sadness maybe, or loneliness. I also want to like write, I love writing like people, like bodies, like bodies just in general, like, so like sex and like, you know, like how passion figures into things and like the messiness of how those things intertwine. And sometimes they're like connected with like loneliness too at the same time. And also with like anger or like with like frustration. So the physical, those physical feelings feel bodied because I feel like they're really stored up like a lot of the time. What's next for you? Oh God, I'm working on a lot of stuff, which I think is good. Cause I think like, like most people, like for the past like year and a half or so, I have felt like at a creative dry spot just due mm-hmm. to the fact that like, so much is going on. So within the past like few months, I've been writing like wildfire, just like writing like a lot. So I have some different, I have like two drafts of two different novels that I have like just kind of languishing on the computer. And then I have like another one because I'm doing Jamie Attenberg's like Thousand Words of Summer right now. And so I'm working on another project. We'll see if anything happens with that. But it's just been felt good to write. And I have a short fiction collection coming out with Riverhead. I'm still working on like the stories for that. And like, we're going to move some pieces around and that'll probably be not next year, but like the spring after, I think, because Cal and I, my editor, we still need to like sit down and do some stuff, but I'm working a lot Mm -hmm. and that's fun. 
which I, I feel, I felt like I was like, once it started happening, I was like, Oh God, like I gotta take advantage of this. I feel like my, I'm going to like, my brain's going to like freeze up again. So <laughs> Kristen, thank you so much for making the time for us today. This was awesome. I had such a good time. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. You're wonderful. Thank you. Board Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.